and welcome to the Family Perspectives Podcast. I'm Shannon. And I'm Haley, and we will be hosts for today's episode on family finance. Joining us today is Dr. Jeff Hill, professor in the School of Family Life. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Hill. Happy to be here. Let's take a moment to introduce Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill is a professor of family life at BYU and teaches classes in family finance to about 1,200 students per year. Jeff has written more than 100 scholarly articles, book chapters, and books. He has also contributed six articles to the Enzyme. Most recently, he published Fundamentals of Family Finance, Living Joyfully Within Your Means, which is a gospel-oriented book about finances and being a wise financial steward. Many of these principles are available free on his Family Finance Instagram at Joyfully Within Your Means. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Sure. I think the reason that I'm so much into family finance is because of my own family. My wife, Tammy, and I are blending a family with 12 children, and we now have 36 grandchildren. That's not cheap. It's hard to to do. So we have struggled with living joyfully within our means. And so I, I love to share what we've learned on our journey. Wonderful. Well, We're so excited to learn about finances from you today. And we hear that all the time that money is one major reason why couples divorce. What kinds of financial habits can hurt a couple's relationship? It is true. I mean, uh, there are basically two reasons that people get divorced. It's uh, money or sex. And my wife does the sex part. Uh, (laughs) She's uh, marriage enhancement and healthy sexuality, and I do the money part. But as far as a couple goes, the bottom line issue is trust. A couple that will trust each other will do okay as a marriage. And often money can be a source of distrust. And so uh, one of the habits that people have, that couples have, that are a negative influence on their marriage is when they keep financial information from each other. Uh, they get married, but then keep their own bank account and kind of keep it from their spouse. And then they don't talk about things and there's distrust. And then one thing leads to another. And oftentimes that financial conflict that will cause a lot of arguments and conflict in the marriage. Yeah, that is definitely tricky. So what are some ways that couples can manage money that helps their relationship instead of hurting it? Okay, so the key, bottom line, is the principle of equal partnership. So the principle that all of the practices would come from is that each spouse, the husband and the wife, have equal access to all of the family's money, regardless of who earns it. That you're together as a family, as a partnership. And if, if you as a wife make twice as much as your husband doesn't mean that you should have access to twice of the money. You should be able to share it together. So the principle of equal partnership, and we've done a lot of research on that. And bottom line, if each spouse feels like they have equal access to the finances, and if there's an openness in the finances, why they do pretty well. So what does that look like? What are some of the practices? One of the practices would be that you have a joint bank account that basically most of the money, and I'll talk about a little bit later a caveat to this, but most of the money comes into a joint checking account 
that both partners have equal access to. That when there are investments, both partners have equal access. When you buy a house, both partners are on the loan and on the, on the deed to the house. When you buy a car, both partners are on the car. So you're sharing everything. And then to make that work, you need to have complete transparency and be able to talk about money. It's so funny. What are the two things that people can't talk about? Can't talk about sex and about money. <laughs> and so you got to get to be happy in marriage. You've got to be comfortable with talking about those two subjects. And I'm the one that helps you talk comfortably about money. And Tammy helps you talk comfortably <laughs> about sex. And so I'll just share one other practice and then we can get on with some other questions. But one practice is to have a time frequently that is sacred that you talk about your finances. You know, that you do it every week. So you don't wait until you have a trouble or problems. If you've been on a mission, it's kind of like a companionship inventory or something like that, where every week you do it. So, for example, Tammy and I, every Sunday afternoon, uh, we do two things. One, we get off the calendar. We see the next week. We get on board on the same page, everything that we're going to do the next week. Then we get out mint.com and we go through every transaction that's happened and we understand exactly where we stand on the budget and uh, we're on the same page then financially. If you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. Wonderful. My husband and I have been talking about finances a lot recently. So <laughs> this is very informative. <laughs> One question I did have was, how do you broach the conversation about finances? How do you start that conversation in a relationship? So you start it early. That's how you do it. You start it early in the relationship. And the main thing is to make it a regular thing that we don't just talk about the problems that we're having with finances, but we also talk about the good side. So one thing I suggest is to dream together about something that would enhance your relationship that costs money. That's beautiful. And then together, you save and sacrifice for that. As you do so, while you come closer together, and then whenever it is, whenever you buy whatever it is, or it's a vacation, or whatever, and you do it, you feel a great sense of satisfaction, and it builds, builds your relationship. So that's a... Uh, as far as broaching it, you get on, get it on the calendar every week and you just talk about it every week. And it's not a negative thing. Most of the time it's a positive thing. And then just like John Gottman in marriage, you know, when you have five positives to one negative, yes, sir. why you'll work out. Yes, and in finances, if you have five positives, wow, you're doing a good job, da, 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 da. then you can have the one negative where it looks like we're over the budget in uh, going out to eat. We're going to have to kind of eat in more or whatever. So those are some thoughts. But I will say that it's not easy mm -hmm. because most of us did not have the example of seeing our parents talking about money. Right. It's true. And so we don't know what it looks like. So also we need to give ourselves space to realize we might not be good at talking about money right at, f at first. And uh, in, in the conversations too, there's usually one person that is more 
adept at communicating. You know, that'll be easier to do. Wonderful. Is there a way that you would have them, like you mentioned, if there's one person that's going to be more taking more initiative Mm -hmm. in talking about finances, is there also tips that they can use in the conversation to really be open about it and communicate better? Or what do you think? I would say that, well, let's say that there's the the talker and the listener or whatever. (laughs) So the ideal thing is that the talker will ask the listener for their opinion. What do you think about this? Or this is what I want. What do you want? And come together and maybe in that way. Awesome. That's great. It seems like it's important just to have good communication skills and then apply that to your finances. Right. That's awesome. So sometimes spouses come into their marriage with very different ideas about money. There's often kind of the saver Mm -hmm. who really likes to save money and the spender who really enjoys spending money. And it can be kind of difficult to reconcile those two different opinions about money. What advice do you have for a saver and a spender kind of getting on the same page Mm -hmm. about their finances? Well, it's not kind of difficult. It is extremely (laughs) difficult. Yes, sir. (laughs) And the first thing to realize is that in every marriage, there is a saver and a spender. You know, my first wife passed away, and in my first marriage, I was definitely the spender, and Juanita was the saver. And with Tammy, she would disagree, but she is the spender, (laughs) and I am the saver. Uh, Not to extremes or whatever, but that... It's important to realize it's normal. Every couple deals with this issue. So it's not something unique to you. So the way to deal with it is to recognize that both the saver and the spender have a place. Money is useless until it's used for what we truly value. I have the saying that when you use your money for that which you truly value, you will claim joy. If a saver is too frugal and you have the money and you don't spend it for the things that you value, you will be missing out on joy. The problem is, is we often think that the saver is better than the spender, but actually each have a place. And we don't have to convert the saver into being a spender or vice versa. So how do you do that? It's very Simple, but very difficult. How you do it is you get together and together you create a budget. You create the budget and you have to both commit that you are going to live within that budget. Then you need to keep track of your expenditures every week to see where you are. And If something that the spender is contemplating getting fits within the budget, then it's okay to get it. Even though the saver thinks, well, that's a little bit exorbitant. (laughs) And if the spender wants to get something that doesn't fit within the budget, then the spender can't get it. Even. (laughs) Valid. Valid. (laughs) And so that is. I always say that the budget is the great arbiter between the saver and the spender. Now, typically, early on in marriage, maybe where, where you are, early on in marriage, the saver should have a little bit of preeminence because you're, you're just getting started, you're getting habits, 
And you can really go into debt a lot when you're young. So the saver should have preeminence. But after you've been a wise financial steward for 30 years and you've saved up a bunch and you have your full emergency fund, you paid off your house, you've done all of these things, then maybe the spender will help you claim more joy because they'll be more free to spend the resources that you have for things that you truly value and you'll claim joy. That is wonderful. I know in one of the classes that I took from you and your wife, Tammy, remember hearing you talk about mad money Mm -hmm. and setting aside a little bit of money Mm -hmm. in order to be able to have Mm -hmm. some autonomy and not feel like you are, you're trapped in your budget, but your budget's a gift. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Though the basic principle is equal partnership and full transparency, (laughs) what can happen is a lot of arguments over little things that don't make any difference financially. And I share the story of, uh, in my first marriage, I was getting my PhD at Utah State. I took my son to an Aggie football game, and we came home, and Juanita asked him, how did you enjoy the game? And he said, it was fantastic. It was the best day ever. Dad got me nachos and drinks and hot dogs and everything. It was the best ever. And then Juanita just looked at me and said, I could have fed our family for a week on what you wasted today. And, of course, I was self-righteous. I ought to be able to get whatever I want for my son at an Aggie football game. What's 20 bucks? And so we had this big argument about it. And so, uh, but a little while later, we were attending a seminar by Richard Iyer, and he talked about this mad money, which is an amount that each spouse gets off budget mm-hmm. that they can spend on whatever they want that's legal and moral <laughs> without divulging it to their spouse. So it's a little bit of money to just do those things that you want to do that you know your spouse might not want you to. It doesn't, it's not really consequential money. It's just a little bit of money. And that resolves, I think, uh, like 80% of the arguments because most of the arguments are about an amount of money that doesn't make a difference. So, uh, and people ask me, why is it mad money? It's not money to spend when you're mad. (laughs) It's not money that you spend when you're crazy. It is just free money. It's just a little bit. And Juanita and I had uh, everything together in joint accounts, but we each had a separate account that we put that money in. Now, the interesting thing is I spent my mad money every month. And when Juanita passed away, we found $17,000 in a bank account that she had never spent. Oh, my goodness. And so that was fine for me because I got to spend it then. <laughs> but, I, uh, but I wish, and I know... Uh, Juanita from the spirit world would would agree that I wish that she had been able to spend money more. Mm-hmm. She would have been able to claim more joy with that money than we did. I know uh, that for those BYU students out there, that means that you'll be able to buy things at the vending machine without feeling bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It. Cookies and cream, too. It's a good time for it. <laughs> That's really great advice. Thank you. Some autonomy, but some... Mm-hmm. You're still collaborating and you're still on the same page. That's awesome. Right. Wonderful. So another question that we have for you 
is that it's important for parents to teach their children about wise financial habits. Mm -hmm. How can parents teach their children about finances and using money wisely early on? Yeah, we have actually done a lot of research on this. And there are a couple of keys. One is that you're open with your children appropriately about your own finances. And so that you talk about uh, how much things cost, you talk about your budget, you, talk, you don't have that, that iron wall between you and your kids when it comes to finances. Now, it is important for children to feel safe in their home. So you wouldn't share major financial trauma or major worries. You would protect your children from that. But in the absence of what would cause them a lot of uh, stress, share what your budget is and your process of setting up the budget. One father, I love this, what he did. They had a family home evening, and this father made $10,000 a month, and he brought home $10,000 in $20 bills. So there's just this boatload of money. And he said, we want to show you where this money goes. And the kids were just, we are so rich. We can do whatever we want. And, And he said, well, first of all, he took a stack, about a tenth. This is what we share with the Lord. This is our tithing. So we put it over here. And they're okay with that. But then he takes like 30%, puts it over and says, this is what we give the government. And the kids are so offended that the government is taking all of that money. Then he takes another 25%. This is what we pay for our house. And uh, this is what we pay for food. And, th- and so when you get done with all the basics, this giant pile is all over here and taken. And this little bit is what we can do for fun stuff that we want to do. So this is why we have to kind of conserve. So that would be a good example of showing them. The other major principle is to give them experiences with money. And the earlier, the better. A preschooler should have access to their own money and should be able to make mistakes with their money. You learn about money by making mistakes. A preschooler will make a $2 mistake, and then they can learn from that. But if you shield them and do everything for money, then when they're elementary school, they'll make a $50 mistake. Or when they're in high school, they'll make a $500 mistake. Or when they're in college, they'll make a $5,000 mistake. (laughs) And so you got to give experiences, uh, find ways to get money into your children's hands that they have control over and then uh, let them manage that money, make mistakes. And so I prefer that children work for that money, that you provide jobs for them that they can earn the money. And I prefer that you don't bail out. You know, So like if the kids are at a store and want something, the parent would say, oh, that's really great. Do you have that money? And we can buy it right now. And they don't. So they bring the money, and then they buy the thing that really the parent knows that they're going to not like after a little while. And then they're out of money, and they find out what they bought they didn't like. It wasn't something that they valued. Um, But you don't bail them out and then get them the thing that they want or whatever. So uh, there's three categories of helping children. One is example, which I talked about. One is experience. And one is actually teaching them. 
and talking about it with them. And actually, the most effective is giving them experiences. The next is example. And though teaching helps, it's not the best way. Because children aren't set up. They, it's better to learn about finances, really interacting and doing finances, rather than teaching them like you would in a class. Two-year-old me. <laughs> I definitely didn't know enough about money coming to college. <laughs> I didn't realize how, how expensive everything is. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a shock. <laughs> That's really great. So I think we're about to wrap up, but I would really love to hear a little bit about the book that you talked about that you've just published, Living Joyfully Within Your Means. Okay, this book, it's actually our textbook for SFL 260, Family Finance. And where this book came from is when I started teaching family finance, I had about three months warning. So I was shopping for a textbook that I wanted. And for me, family finance isn't about the dollars and cents. It's about the principles and how you embody what you value and the principles of your life. And you clothe those desires with Money. I mean, money then buys things as a reflection of who you are as a wise financial steward. I believe that our stewardship over our material resources and our time and our talents is what life's all about. And there were no textbooks that taught that. And the textbooks that were there were $240. And they were, uh, I didn't think that was a wise financial since they didn't cover what I wanted them to cover. And they would get really into depth, far much into depth for what you really need in your own home, but really lack the perspective of the principles. So what my team, and I worked with Ashley LeBaron Black, who is now a professor here, but at that time she was my lead research assistant. We just wrote this textbook that's from a gospel perspective. So every chapter, whether it's buying a car or getting the insurance that you need. It's always couched in the principles of the gospel. And it gives you good practical advice. And then it gives you good perspectives so that you can make good financial decisions with you and your family. So right now it's, it's the textbook. It's, I'm going to retire in July, and then I'll probably write a book for like the general public or something. Everyone needs to know about this. I can promise you that. So, well, I'll be grateful to buy that book when it comes to be a, a wise purchase. <laughs> You'll be a wise financial steward. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Dr. Hill, is there anything else that you wish that we had asked you so far in this podcast session that we can learn from you today? I think that one thing that didn't come out that I really want to emphasize, especially for a couple is my uh, tagline of joyfully within your means. And so that is, number one, to always make your expenditures within what you have, to avoid debt like the plague, to only go into debt for things that you truly need, which generally are housing, so buying a house, safe, reliable transportation if you don't have the money for a car, and maybe an education so that you can uh, leverage that education to be a, a, a better provider the rest of your life. And so I think that couples too often don't do that. And we need to avoid debt like the plague. And I think that a couple should see the purpose of their finances is not to get rich. 
It is to live a Christ-like life. It's to enable you to live life. And so I would end on, again, emphasizing that when we use our time, talents, and resources that we have for things that we don't truly value, we will claim frustration. So it's very key for a husband and wife to talk about what do they truly value. When we use our resources, our time, talents, or treasure for things uh, that we don't have, for things that we don't value, we are just dumb. (laughs) We We shouldn't go into debt for anything that's not an absolute need. And then finally, when we use our time, talents, and treasure for those things that we truly do value, we will claim joy. And so that's why Living Joyfully Within Your Means is our Instagram and the name of the book. And I, I got to give credit that it was originally given by Elder Hales in conference. He had a saying about uh, living joyfully within our means. So that's what I wish you'd ask. Yes, thank you. It's <laughs> beautiful. It definitely inspires a mindset about what it means to really understand what you have and what it's used for. And so I really appreciate that tagline. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. I wish you really well on these podcasts. And if I can ever help you again, let me know. Well, I will definitely talk with my husband just a little bit more (laughs) about finances, but we'll set a regular schedule for it. That way it feels more, more productive. Thank you again for taking the time to share your expertise with us, Dr. Hill. I've learned a lot. I think something that is going to be my main takeaway from this is that money can be used to bring us joy. Like Mm -hmm. in my relationship, I'm definitely the saver. So Mm -hmm. it felt good to hear that it's good to spend money and we can do that in a wise way. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Family Perspective podcast on family finances with Dr. Jeff Hill. Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with someone who would benefit from it. Join us next month for another episode of the Family Perspectives Podcast.